Well, good morning, church family. Uh, From my side, it's good to be with you again this morning. Thank you to Bruce for leading our service and for just pointing us again through the readings and the songs that we're singing uh, to the wonderful grace that we enjoy as the people of God. Um, Particularly appreciated Bruce praying for uh, the service and the preaching of the word. So let's come now as we read God's word together, as we look at the next uh, parables in our series on the parables of Jesus. So turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be reading from verse 44 to 46, just three verses. But in those three verses, we have two parables of Jesus. And so let's read together Matthew 13, verse 44, and I'm reading from the English Standard Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Well, this is God's word, and let's come and see what God would have us to learn as we consider this passage together. And so I want to start by pointing out that we live in a world obsessed with beauty, beautiful food, beautiful homes, beautiful countryside, beautiful holiday destinations, beautiful people, beautiful clothes, and and then coupled with that is the, the parallel sales pitch that all of these beautiful things can be bought. And so the marketing campaign of the credit card companies is that the experience that you and I will, will get when we buy these beautiful things, that experience is priceless. And so as you scroll through the endless images of beauty being presented to you every day, would a picture of the gospel make you stop? Would you Put the gospel on your favorites board. Would you retweet that picture of the gospel to your social network? The question that I'm really after this morning is this. How much is the gospel of Jesus Christ worth to you? How much do you value and treasure your salvation? What is it in the world that you would seek to compare to your relationship with Jesus Christ? How important is it really to you that you are a Christian, that God is your Father, that your sins are forgiven, that heaven awaits you one day? Let me dig a little bit deeper here. How much is your relationship to Jesus Christ worth to you? Is there anything on this earth which gives you more delight and pleasure than knowing God by His Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ? How easily, if I were to put the other side of the coin to you, how easily do you sin and knowingly grieve the Holy Spirit where your actions and your thoughts reveal how little the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ which bought you, which sanctified you, how little that really means to you. In his book, Radical, David Platt gives the account of various martyrs of the Christian faith. Let me just read two briefly. One Christian in India, while being skinned alive, looked at his persecutors and said, I thank you for this. Tear off my old garment, for soon I will put on Christ's garment of righteousness. 
Another martyr called Christopher Love, as he prepared to head to his execution, he wrote a note to his wife saying, Today they will sever me from my physical head, but they cannot sever me from my spiritual head, who is Christ. And as he walked to his death, his wife applauded while he sang of glory. You only need to read the Fox's Book of Martyrs to see the same thing repeated literally hundreds of times over uh, in the Christians of the ages past who went through the most gruesome and painful of deaths with their eyes lifted towards heaven as Stephen did in the book of Acts, their faces shining as they beheld the glory of God and Jesus Christ waiting to welcome them. Think about the Apostle Paul. He writes about his daily walk as a Christian. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. Would you be able to, to echo Those thoughts about being so Christ-centered in the midst of a life, as Paul has just mentioned. What is it about these Christians of the past which made them suffer all that they did, often for extended periods of time until their death, with joy, with courage, with hope, and with godly contentment? What did they have which seems to be all but absent in so much of what we would call Christianity today? Well, that's what this next parable of Jesus seeks to address. And it's the whole topic of the value of the gospel, the value of your salvation. What is it really worth to you to belong to the kingdom of heaven? So we have before us possibly two of the shortest of Jesus' parables to consider this morning. They are relatively straightforward to understand, but they both challenge us in a very deep way as to where we stand in our relationship to God and the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. Now, it's, it's clear from the context that although these are two separate parables, they are meant to be read together. They both convey the same message. And so we're going to consider both parables together to see what Jesus is saying to us. Now, in verse 44 and 45, Jesus starts each parable with, The kingdom of heaven is like... And we've come across this phrase before in some of the previous parables. So let me just remind you again what the kingdom of heaven is. And and the kingdom of heaven refers specifically to 
to God's reigning, God's ruling over those people who have repented of their sins, who've turned to God for salvation, who've accepted that invitation to the wedding banquet, who've had the seed of the gospel uh, implanted deep within the soil of their hearts, and who are those who are bearing much fruit for God. It's, It's referring to those who are Christians another way of speaking of those who have been born again, those who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith, those who have become members of the household of God, adopted into his family by baptism, and Christians of this heavenly kingdom which is to come, and who are now living each day under the lordship, under the, the reign of Christ. So that's what it speaks about when we think of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so let's consider then four things this morning regarding the kingdom of heaven. And the first is that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure of great value. Now, this point is made very clearly in both of the parables. The first one tells us that a man was walking through a field, perhaps he was working in the field, and he discovered a great treasure. The second parable makes this even clearer by telling us that there was a specific merchant, a trader, a man in search of fine pearls, and when he found one of great value, he immediately acted. Now, clearly, Jesus is not really interested uh, in buried treasure or trading in in pearls. The Bible is not a, a treasure map to go and discover some earthly lost hidden treasure in a field somewhere. No, in telling this parable, this earthly story, it's again intended to be laid alongside a previously hidden spiritual truth. And the point of this parable is that the kingdom of God, the good news of our salvation, is an incredible treasure. It's something of tremendous value, so valuable in fact, that we see that both of these men are eager to sell everything that they owned in order to acquire this treasure. Now, in those days, it was common practice for people who had great wealth to bury it in the ground. That way, it would be hidden, it would be safe from robbers, and available to you whenever you needed it. The problem was that people in those days also died very easily. There was a lot of poor health through disease that was around. There was regular wars that took people's lives. Or perhaps you were simply just the unfortunate victim of of bandits or murderers. And so what would often happen is that the person's great treasure that was buried would be lost. The person would die and they wouldn't have told anyone where they buried their treasure. And so unknown to any of his family or friends, the treasure was, was gone. And so what we have in verse 44 is a man who happens to come across another person's treasure. It was a treasure of great value. And so he goes and he sells all that he has in order to purchase the piece of land in which the treasure was buried so that he then had the right to dig it up and make it his own. The second parable is is more explicit regarding the man searching for an item of great value as, as someone who understands and appreciates the beauty of pearls. When this man finds one of great value, he too did whatever was necessary in order to obtain it. And so the obvious point of both parables is this. 
Do we value the kingdom of God? Do we value the gospel of our salvation like these two men valued their treasure? Can we say with Paul in Ephesians 1 that in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. We've had our sins forgiven so that we are blameless before Him. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been redeemed by His blood. We've received the riches of His grace which He has lavished on us. We've obtained an inheritance with Christ in heaven. We have been predestined according to the purpose of of God the Father who works out all things according to the counsel of His will so that we will have a sure hope in Christ to the praise of His glory. Can we agree with Paul in Philippians 3 verse 8 to honestly say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. I count them as dung in order that I may gain Christ. That is the challenge that is set before us this morning. You see, Paul could say those things because he found the gospel to be the greatest of all treasures. He found the gospel to be this pearl of infinite value, so much so that everything in this world, all the best that this world could offer, became in comparison like cow dung to him. In comparison to the the surpassing value, the surpassing greatness, the surpassing treasure of knowing Jesus Christ, to know His power and to know His blessing and God's grace in His life. That is what those martyrs had, which I read about at the beginning. They had their hearts captured by this great treasure of the gospel. They realized that what they had in Jesus Christ so infinitely surpassed anything this world could offer. Possessions, money, acceptance, love, fame, popularity, even life itself. They were willing to give up everything, including their own life, in order to fully obtain the prize of this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this is the, the hidden, this is the hidden spiritual truth which this parable of, of Jesus was meant to reveal. You see, the people of Jesus' day, the Jews thought that being a, a member of the kingdom of heaven was a birthright. It was something which automatically happened to them because they were Jews. And as such, they took it for granted. They just assumed it to be theirs by right, by birth. And so they did not value it as they should. And I think this is a a very fresh and timeless lesson for us today. Many of us have grown up in Christian homes. Perhaps you went to a Christian school. You've been a, a member of an established church for many years. You've benefited Broadly speaking, from what could have been considered in our past a a Christian country. 
And so we don't value Christ. We don't value the gospel and salvation which he gives to us because we think that we're in by virtue of the fact that we're not an atheist or we're not a Muslim or we're not a Hindu. We must be Christians. And so the kingdom of heaven is automatically belongs to us. It's not the awareness of the incredible value of the treasure which is presented to us in the gospel. We just think that it's all part and parcel of being a a religious, good, moral, upright South African. This parable is meant to be a wake-up call to all of us if if we have in any way lost sight of this incredible priceless value, this, this treasure of our salvation. And so that is the first thing that we learn from this parable, that the gospel of our salvation, becoming a member of the kingdom of heaven, is a treasure of great value. But then secondly, we see that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure which is hidden from most. Now this too would have come as a surprise to the Jews of Jesus' day, and it may come as a surprise to you this morning. The, the reason for this is linked to what we've just been considering, that the Jews would have thought that the kingdom of God was nothing more than the physical nation of Israel. And you were in it by birth, by race, by location. And so it was not something you needed to to look for. It wasn't something you needed to seek after because you were born into it. And similarly today, many people think that being a Christian is, is all about going to church and maybe confessing your sins to a priest or getting baptized as your ticket to heaven. Something you were born into. Perhaps because your parents, they had you baptized or sprinkled as a baby and then they had you confirmed as a teenager. And and so perhaps uh, you think that because those things were done to you, you're in. Perhaps others think that Christianity is something available for us to try out to see if it works for us. And, And if not, well, then you move on to something else which may be more exciting or more relevant to you. But here comes Jesus and he reveals something very striking. The kingdom of heaven is actually hidden from most people. They don't see it. They don't feel any need for it. Very few search for it or have any concept of its true value. Now, why would the kingdom of God, why would this treasure of the gospel be something which is hidden from most Don't we often preach from this pulpit that the gospel is is open to all, the the invitation to, to come to the wedding banquet, it goes out to all. The seed of the gospel is sown on all kinds of hearts. Now, how is it then that this gospel treasure is hidden? Well, it's hidden because of what Jesus says in John chapter 18, verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. In other words, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, and entrance into this kingdom is not by birth or by race or by religion. No, it's by being born again by the Holy Spirit of God. It it requires a spiritual new birth, a spiritual new identity, a new citizenship to become these new creations in Christ. 
the, the actual membership of this kingdom is a spiritual membership. It's not of this world. It's not seen in this physical world. It's not discovered by seeking after the things of this world. Paul actually says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, spiritually hidden, spiritually outside of our grasp if we are the natural man. And so this treasure then, this treasure of the kingdom of God, is hidden from most people because it is a spiritual treasure. And the natural man, the man without the Spirit of God, he cannot see it, he cannot grasp it, he cannot understand it, and he certainly does not seek after it. It's only the mind and the heart which has been made alive spiritually, which has been awakened or regenerated by God, which can see and understand and appreciate and seek after this spiritual treasure. Do you realize that most of your friends, most of your colleagues in the workplace, while they, they might kind of understand your belonging to a religious club called the Honey Ridge Baptist Church, which meets on Sundays, they certainly are, are thinking that you are bonkers by sitting in front of your TV on a Sunday morning for a whole year, singing songs and listening to some chap speak for 40 minutes. It, it makes no sense to them. So they may kind of respect you enough to not give you grief about it, but in their hearts they think that all of this stuff, all of this Christianity stuff is, is the things of foolishness. But there's another reason why many people cannot see the kingdom nor appreciate its value, and it is because the hearts and the minds of unbelievers are darkened. It's not just that we are earthly in our natural state, and this is spiritual, but in our earthly state, our minds are darkened. Ephesians 4 verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Do you see how totally different the life of the Christian is from that of the non-Christian? This has got nothing to do with, with equal choices in life. You know, we choose religion and they choose irreligion. No, not at all. The difference between the two groups is as different as night and day. The unbeliever's heart and mind is, is dark towards God. It's hardened towards God. They deliberately choose to pursue their own sinful desires. But the Christian is a totally different person. He's a new creation, a new spiritual being, a person who walks in the light. And so the treasure of the gospel is hidden from most because they are blind to it, and their hearts are actually hardened and set against God in every way. But thankfully, it is a treasure which is not hidden from all. 
Some do find it. Praise God that some do find it. And it's worth seeing how that happens. Firstly, we see that some people just stumble upon it. They weren't really looking for it, but something comes across their paths unexpectedly, and they are gripped by the truth and the reality of what they see and hear, and their lives are never the same again. We see this in the first parable. The man literally stumbled across the treasure. And so it is with many people who who can testify that they were not interested in God. Perhaps you might have been one of them. You You were not looking for God. You were in actual fact hostile to God or totally indifferent towards the things of God. But you stumbled across God in a most unexpected way and the lights came on and God moved by His Holy Spirit in your heart in a way that you just cannot explain. But you know that on that day when the light shone into your heart, you saw the face of Jesus Christ and you were converted. For some, this happens the very first time they hear the gospel. Perhaps over a cup of coffee with a Christian friend or perhaps a random read through the Bible or perhaps through an evangelistic rally or a gospel sermon where suddenly the penny drops And you see yourself in in a totally different light, a a spiritual light. You suddenly see yourself from, from God's perspective as a desperately needy sinner, needing to be saved from the wrath of a holy God. And you find in that moment your salvation in Jesus Christ. And this can happen for even religious people, people who've been going to church for a long time, people who've perhaps heard the gospel many, many times over, and yet go through life really not searching for God, simply assuming that they're right with God, going through the motions of religion, when suddenly God breaks into their hearts. They are confronted by the truth. They are confronted by the the disgusting nature of even their most righteous deeds that they've actually believed in for years, and everything that they knew academically in their heads about the gospel suddenly sinks down into their hearts, and they are broken and cry out to God for forgiveness. So some people stumble upon it uh, in various ways and in various uh, situations in life. But then secondly, from the the second parable, we see that some people do search for the kingdom with much earnestness. And and this searching can take various forms. Some may be in church every week. They know that salvation is to be found here. They've seen the transforming work of grace. They've seen the gospel change the lives of a, a spouse or a child or a friend. And so they know that salvation is to be found, but their searching has not led it be, to become personal for them. Still others will search by pursuing all kinds of religious or spiritual experiences. Others will, will search for peace with God through the, the giving of themselves to, to charities and, and worthy causes like serving the poor or volunteering to minister to the sick or the orphans. They realize that this world and its promises are empty. They know something in their hearts of a guilt before God, but they don't know how to get rid of it. They are aware of the the spiritual dimension to life, but they don't know how to access it. 
And so that often leads them to opening themselves up to all kinds of evil and demonic practices. But it all comes up empty. And so they search and they search until one day they find what they've been looking for. They find the truth of the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news of the Son of God who came, died on a cross in their place. And it all finally makes sense to them and they, they grasp the truths of the gospel they believe in Jesus Christ and become new creatures in Christ. And yes, many people are some kind of combination, people who search for something more in life. They're not really sure what, but who then unexpectedly in their searching just stumble across this greatest of all treasures, this pearl of great price, and they're born again. This reminds me of the account of the conversion of that great Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, which is a wonderful illustration of both of these aspects of, of stumbling across the gospel while searching for it. Spurgeon describes his conversion as follows, Through the Lord's restraining grace and the holy influence of my early home life, both at my father's and my grandfather's, I was kept from certain outward forms of sin in which others indulged. And sometimes when I began to take stock of myself, I really thought I was quite a respectable lad and might have been half inclined to boast that I was not like the other boys, untruthful, dishonest, disobedient, swearing, Sabbath-breaking, and so on. But all of a sudden I met Moses, carrying in his hand the law of God. And as he looked at me, he seemed to search me through and through with his eyes of fire. He bade me to read God's ten words, the Ten Commandments. And as I read them and remembered what I had been taught about their spiritual meaning as interpreted by the Lord Jesus Christ, they all seemed to join in accusing and condemning me in the sight of the thrice holy Jehovah. And then like Daniel, my attractiveness was turned in me into corruption and I retained no strength. And I understood what Paul meant when he wrote, Now we know what things the law saith. It saith to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. For years Spurgeon remained under the deep conviction of sin searching for, for ways to get rid of this burden until one Sunday morning in January 1850, a snowstorm forced him to stumble into a primitive Methodist chapel in Colchester. The minister did not even come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose, Spurgeon says. At last, a very thin-looking man, a, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. And he was obliged to stick to the text for the simple reason that he had very little else to say. And the text was, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. After he had managed to spin out ten minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. And then, Spurgeon says, he looked at me under the gallery and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. And fixing his eyes on me, as if he knew me with all, uh, knew all of my heart, he said to me, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, said Spurgeon, but I had not been accustomed to having remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, 
It was a good blow. It struck right home. He continued, and you always will be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And Spurgeon then says, I saw at once the way of salvation. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Jesus Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. The kingdom of God is a treasure of great value, which is hidden from most, but thankfully by God's grace, not from all, because he reveals it to some unexpectedly, to others who search for it. But it is God who reveals this incredible spiritual treasure to the eyes of faith. Well, in the third place then, and I'm going to be more brief here, we see that the kingdom of God is a treasure which is totally satisfying. We see this in verse 44. The man who discovers the treasure, we are told it's a treasure that brings him much joy. In both parables, we see a, a common thread that after discovering the treasure, this treasure in the ground, this pearl of great price. Both men do whatever it takes to make it their own. Both men sell everything they have in order to obtain the object of their joy, the object which will bring them satisfaction. In other words, nothing else that they possessed in this life was worth keeping if it meant that they could own this treasure. This treasure for them was of ultimate value. It gave them joy which nothing else in this world could ever compete with. And so they, they sell it all in order to get this treasure. And again, this really probes our hearts again this morning, doesn't it? Do we really find all our joy, total satisfying joy in our relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, this does not mean that we don't, as humans, as Christians, find joy in other things, in our spouses, in our children, in our work or sport or hobbies. But what it does mean is that our primary joy, the source of all meaning and purpose and perspective in this life, the source of all the other joys, is only to be found in Jesus Christ. It's found to be a child of God who is married to a spouse, a child of God who has children, a child of God who is employed in the world, a child of God who is given gifts with woodwork or, or hobbies or music or whatever it may be to be creative. 
Our primary joy, our primary satisfaction in who we are in Christ gives us the joy that we can have in the things that God has then given to us. In other words, without finding our ultimate joy in Christ, all these other joys that I've mentioned will be temporary and they will ultimately be empty. For example, if you are seeking to find your ultimate fulfillment in your marriage apart from viewing your marriage in the light of your relationship to Jesus Christ, your marriage relationship will come up empty. Let me just explain that a little bit more. You see, unless Christ and the gospel is the ultimate source of your joy, you will not have what it takes from a human perspective to give yourself unconditionally to your spouse, to love them the way they need to be loved, to be patient with them when they don't do what they should to forgive them when they sin and, and to encourage them when they're down. You, you won't have what it takes. And so you will start to become disillusioned with the marriage because it has not delivered the joy, the satisfaction that you thought it would. Because it, it did not give you your heart's desires. It, it keeps on coming up short. And so eventually you will consider abandoning the marriage, abandoning the spouse for something else or someone else to give you the joy that you were looking for. And so the next cycle of lesser joy, of empty joy seeking, continues. But when we find all our joy and all our satisfaction in our relationship to Jesus Christ, it's only then that we look at life around us through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of what we have received from God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only then that we will be able to love each other and to enjoy the things that God has given us in life in their proper place. To love like Jesus loved, to forgive like Jesus forgives, to be patient as Jesus is patient, to encourage as Jesus encourages. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a treasure which is totally satisfying, which then frees us, which liberates us to then enjoy the other joys that God has given to us in this world in their proper places. And then finally, and with this I'll close, we see from this passage that the kingdom of God is a treasure which is worth everything. And, and here we have a, a catch-22. Jesus points out twice that both these men went and sold everything they had in order to obtain this treasure. Now, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, finding the treasure or the action to sell everything? Now, it's vital that we see this. Jesus is emphatically not saying that these men sold everything that they had in order to be able to purchase salvation. He doesn't say that. He says that they found something that they did not have, and when they saw and appreciated what it is that they had discovered, they went out and did what was ever necessary to make that treasure their own. We, however, tend to speak about the gospel the other way around. We tend to, to say things like this. Is it worth 
giving up my career promotion, or my security, or my comforts, or my sinful habits, or my ungodly relationships, or whatever it else that, that is very dear to us, is it worth giving up these things in order to obtain Christ and His salvation? And, and the human answer to that is, I'm not sure. I don't know. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and hang on to all my money, all my security, all my career aspirations, all my sinful habits, my unbelieving partner. I'm going to hang on to all those things, and then I'm going to try out Jesus for a while. And I'm going to see if he gives me enough joy and fulfillment to kind of slowly let go of those things. Or, or maybe I'm going to just try and see if I can't keep both. But Jesus has already explained in the parable of the sower that that approach never works because the pleasures of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the cares and the worries of the, the business affairs of life, these things will come in and choke us from ever being able to bear the fruit of God. Now what these parables show us is the exact opposite. When a person comes to see the true value of the gospel, when they really perceive the true treasure of Jesus and a relationship with God through Christ, of, of a living, uh, thriving relationship with the creator of the universe, of having sins forgiven, of being reconciled to God, when this value of all of that is discovered as, as the ultimate joy of this life, this true spiritual joy is immediately found. The satisfaction is immediately perceived. And so the selling of all that we have is not a negotiation. It's not a, an agreement of mutual compromise. It becomes a delight and it becomes an urgent priority. What can I do to get right with God? What can I do to get rid of all the distractions from being in a right relationship with God? So Jesus here is painting a picture of total surrender, total commitment to the one true thing which will bring eternal joy and eternal satisfaction, namely Jesus Christ and His love. Someone has once said, God only promises to fill the empty cup. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Have you come to, to discover the, the infinite value of the person and the work of Jesus Christ? Have you come to see your true state without Jesus and your true state with Jesus? If so then you will know that in Christ you have discovered the pearl of great price. You have discovered the treasure of all treasures, which has been hidden from your sight for so long, but now you've found it. you found Him, and you will not let anything distract your attention or rob you of obtaining as much of Jesus as you can possibly get. And so you will eagerly empty the cup of your heart, of everything else with which you try to previously fill up your heart with so that there is maximum room for the blessings of the gospel to flow and overflow. Jesus says whoever would save his life would lo will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
fills his cup with everything that this world has to offer, but loses his soul. Well, may God be gracious to us this morning as we seek to grasp and and understand his word to us today, that, that we would truly examine our own hearts and recognize where we have perhaps allowed many of the joys of this world to become joys that are not seen in and through the light of the ultimate joy of the gospel, but are things which have filled our cup. May God help us today to cry out with the disciples in the words of the hymn that we're going to sing in a, in a minute, where else shall we go, Lord? Where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So show us Christ. Show us Christ. O oh God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word until every heart confesses that Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord, we again come before you this morning with, with hearts that must start off in confession, hearts that must confess, Lord, that we have not valued you, treasured you above all things. And for that, we ask your forgiveness. For us who have received so much over the years as Christians through the, the regular preaching and teaching of the word, through the wonderful resources that are available to us through books and, and the internet, to teach us about the treasures of the gospel and, and all the wonders of the, the blessings which are ours in the spiritual realms. And we've, we've stored all of these things in our minds and perhaps we've even become puffed up with knowledge. But our hearts have not grasped the treasure of a right relationship with you. Our hearts have not grasped the, the depths of our own depravity apart from you and and what eternity looks like outside of your grace. Our hearts have not grasped the ugliness of our own self-righteousness. And so we come today and we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you will take your word, these two simple parables today, and that you would cause us to see Christ, to see the gospel of our salvation as we ought. We are told that the angels in heaven long to look into that which we as Christians have and enjoy, and yet we so easily treat it as if it's nothing. We so easily show you through the priorities of our lives that we have placed other things as the objects of our affection, the objects in which we find our joy and contentment. Oh, Lord God, we pray that you would help us to see the emptiness of all of these things, that we would be quick to cast them all at your feet and to cling with, with empty hands, with empty arms, only to Jesus Christ for that wonderful salvation, that treasure of infinite value, that priceless pearl, which is found in being the children of the Most High God. So we pray, Lord, that you would do in our hearts what only you can do. Stir us, we pray. Show us, Christ. Reveal your glory till every heart confesses that Christ is Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.
Can we go? You have the words of eternity. 